Over the past 25 years, as I have sat on both sides of the couch, I have learned a lot about what works and does not work when it comes to parenting. I have concluded that there are some universal truths about what it takes to successfully navigate the landmines and potholes of childhood so that a child can grow successfully into an adult and launch. The following tips are some of what I have gleaned from all the men and women that have trusted me with their pain and joy. I believe there are five keys to making healthy kids. Tip one, help kids make sense out of the world. I'm sure to any parent this is obvious, but I want to give a full perspective as to why it is so important. There are two jobs of childhood. From the moment that a baby pops out, he or she has two jobs. Job one is to download the love of his parents. That will allow him to love and be loved. This is what we call attachment. If a child does not feel the unconditional love of the parent, then he will be unable to feel genuine love from anyone else. So the parent-child bond is an essential foundation for being able to love and be loved as an adult. The second job is to make sense of the world. From that first smack on the ass and the eyes opening, the infant is overwhelmed with information. They are tasked with organizing and bringing order to all of the information they are suddenly flooded with. How we make sense out of what happens to us from those very first moments of life through childhood creates the foundation for how we will experience the world. One of the major problems is that babies and children often reach grand conclusions about what all of this means, both about them and the world, before they have sufficient data to make sense out of all of it and put the information into context. Those grand conclusions shape the reality and it is the lens they look through to understand what is happening the rest of their lives. For instance, a baby left to cry alone too long may conclude they are not important and their needs are never going to be met. So then they may retreat from their bad feelings in their body and go into their heads because the feelings are overwhelming and too painful to endure. These are all adult perspectives, but babies and children reach conclusions before they have words. Infants need the distraction of the other because they are empty inside. They need the merger with mom or the primary caretaker to not feel alone. The emptiness inside is more than they can tolerate. It is very important they not feel that too much in infancy. Overstimulating a child is not good either. They have limited neural ability to tolerate stimulation. A parent's job is to be attuned to prevent too much or too little stimulation for a baby so they can stay on the road to moving through the developmental task before them. The first five years of life sets up much of how a child is formed and how they see the world and themselves in it. Most of my comments here are about the later experience. It is very important that a new parent really take the time and research child development from ages zero to five. A parent that has a cognitive understanding of the process and task will do a much better job of fulfilling the need of the child in a healthy way so they have the best chance to navigate the later stages of childhood. One of my clients had the unfortunate experience of having his jaw accidentally dislodged by his sister. They were about age 11 at the time. While uncomfortable, he was able to go to school the next day. The doctors just advised him to go to the nurse's office to get an ice pack 
if he felt too much pain. His older brother was a known troublemaker. When he went to the nurse's office to obtain the ice pack, the school principal and school nurse held him hostage for several hours. The principal did not believe him and repeatedly told him he was just like his big brother and was obviously lying and just trying to get out of class. The young boy was confused by what was going on and could not make any sense out of it. He concluded that he would never put himself in a position to allow anyone with that kind of power over him again. This caused him many problems with authority throughout his life until he was able to work through that early traumatic experience and the subsequent ones that followed. So while that dropped fly ball in left field that lost the game or not being invited to that certain party might look trivial to a parent, to the child that is the most important thing in their world and they are going to come to some conclusion about who they are based upon that experience. Children are healthily narcissistic and until they form a sense of self, everything is about them. If mommy and daddy divorce, it's their fault. If mommy and daddy are fighting, it's their fault. The world is centered around their experience. Knowing this can help the parent help the child navigate the experience and come to a more realistic conclusion about what has happened and what it says about the child. The drop ball may convince the boy that he is a failure and unable to succeed in anything in life. That drop ball may haunt him the rest of his life, always following him, always taunting him that he is never going to succeed or be good enough. He may stop trying altogether. Pain is what makes us who we are. How we learn to cope with pain or not shapes how we function in the world. It is a parent's job to help a child learn to navigate the world and to make sense of what is happening. Helping him or her to develop skills and strategies to deal with pain and painful situations is essential to creating an adult that can survive and thrive in the world. If a parent is the source of that pain, that is where major psychological issues are born because there's no relief and there's no help to navigate that landscape. Tip number two, keep shame to the minimum. What you did was bad, not who you are. First, let me differentiate between guilt and shame. Guilt is feeling bad about what you did, what you did not do, what you thought about doing, etc. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. I'm bad. I'm awful, I'm sick, I'm perverted, etc. Probably the most common experience we all have as human beings is shame. Parents unintentionally shame children all the time. Instead of a parent saying, Billy, that was a bad thing to do, they say, Billy, you're a bad boy. Children swallow that in. They believe the parents and it becomes foundational in how they see themselves. Children experience themselves in the reflections that their parents and caregivers give them. While all of us have some shame, how much shame depends upon how children are raised and their experiences as a child. Sexual abuse is certainly one way that children download a lot of shame. When a child is sexually abused, they absorb the shame of the abuser and the children usually blame themselves. In everyday interactions, when a parent is short and frustrated, it is easy to make a child feel bad about themselves. And in the short run, it may get the parent what they want, the contrite, punished child. But in the long run, it can have serious consequences to a child's sense of self, self-esteem, and ability to function in the world as a healthy adult. So it is really important for the parent to be as conscious as possible when punishing a child. 
Children are sponges, and they take it all in and swallow beliefs, values, and ideals from the parents, both consciously and unconsciously. In Gestalt therapy, this is called an introject. A large part of the work in therapy is a therapist helping a client uncover their introjects and begin the process of working them through so that they no longer control who they are and how they see the world. Tip number three, tell them the facts about sex and prevent too much early exposure. Children are truth detectors. They often know when a parent is lying and they certainly know when a parent is embarrassed or ashamed. So whenever possible, it is best to tell the child as much of the truth as possible. This is also means educating children about really important things like sex, money, and fighting, all of the major life skills that they will need in adulthood. The sex education that children get in schools, if any, is severely lacking in almost every case. It is important to separate the religious education, if any, from the pure factual information about sex, sexuality, and relationship. Knowing the basic biology, knowing about contraception, knowing about the developmental process and relationships, and most of all, knowing about the difference between sex and love. These are a parent's responsibility to either tell the child directly or see that they get the information. Many parents, understandably, are uncomfortable having some of these conversations with their children. And sadly, many parents have minimal sex education themselves. So they communicate that discomfort and it adds another layer of shame and embarrassment to the child and their relationship to sex and sexuality. It's really helpful if a parent has gotten this information for themselves and work through any sexual shame they might have had so that they can best prepare their children for the world and so they don't have to be trapped in some of the same places their parents were growing up. For the parent, I highly recommend a book called Your Brain on Sex by Stanley Siegel. I have found no other text that so elegantly helps a person face their sexual shame and work through it. Check it out. It is also very important that a child not be overexposed to overt sexual imagery or sexual situations before they are psychologically able to process it. It will lead to overstimulation and consequently set up potentially a lifetime of sexual dysfunction. Young boys and young men having sexual experiences with older girls or with older women can be severely traumatizing. Young boys or girls should not be having significant sexual experiences with someone older than themselves by more than a year or two because the brain is not sufficiently developed to process the stimulation. Another of approximately the same age should produce roughly the same amount of stimulation so that neither is overwhelmed by the experience. As we grow physically, the brain is growing and developing, and a part of that development is the ability to experience pleasure. Part of the adolescent growth process is to learn how to hold a sexual charge and to experience pleasure in their bodies. If they have sex with someone older, that process is disrupted. Exposure to porn or extreme erotic material can have an equally damaging impact. I've had many male clients tell me that their mothers bought them subscriptions to Playboy and they spent a lot of time looking at their parents' porn. I have no problem with adults viewing erotic material, but it's overstimulating for a child to see and experience that. The overstimulation can create a lifetime of sexual dysfunction. In short, it is like plugging a 220 volt appliance into a 110 outlet. It will blow the circuit. When that happens to a child, they are stuck in that loop, whether pleasurable or not, until this is processed. 
I've seen too many adults who are trying to recreate a specific sexual experience over and over and cannot get out of that loop without professional help. So protect them. Normalize their feelings. Do not be shaming or punitive of peer experiences, but allow them to have their innocence by educating them so they are not naive. Keeping them naive sets them up to be victimized. Information does not destroy innocence, but protects it for a much longer period. Tip four, teach children to problem solve. Part one, probably one of the biggest problems I encounter as a psychotherapist is people having no concept of problem solving. Their parents did not take the time to teach them how to solve problems. The parent rushed in and did the homework for them or solved the problem for them rather than helping the child think and feel through the process. Learning to problem solve is probably one of the most valuable skills that a parent can teach a child. If a person can solve problems and be confident, they know how to solve problems and they are able then to go out into the world and feel like they can handle whatever happens. If they do not know what they want and they don't have the skills to figure it out or how to get it, they will not succeed and they will be dependent upon other people. Parents should start giving small, increasingly difficult tasks to children as they grow physically and developmentally. When they fail, it is crucial to go back and help them understand what they did wrong. In my first book, Reflections for Managers, we talked about the importance of a manager understanding the thought process of an employee who made a wrong decision. We could have just told the employee what to do, but by understanding the process they took to get that decision point and helping them understand where they took a wrong turn, it will help solve the problem better next time and hopefully reach the right conclusion. This lesson applies to parents and children as well. Being a parent is a lot like being a manager. Ask any manager. Part two of problem solving. When a kid is stuck, don't ask them why. Ask them what they're feeling. As I mentioned in the beginning, it is important to pay attention to a child's feelings. It is understandably easy to get frustrated with a child that can't seem to accomplish what seems to be a normal task like a homework problem or some task. Instead of asking why they can't do it, ask them what they're feeling. If you can get to the feelings such as, I'm overwhelmed, I feel stupid, etc., then you have a real chance of getting to the problem-solving phase. Kids are often overwhelmed with feelings and they may have no idea of what they mean or how to process them. This is part of the making sense out of the world that I mentioned earlier. Helping them to identify their feelings and make sense out of them will serve them the rest of their lives. Just asking why they can't do it when it's clear they are stuck is shaming. This is so important, I'm going to repeat it. When working with a child, it is often easy to ask the child why they can't solve the problem or why they can't do a task they're supposed to do. For most kids, that is simply the wrong question. The real question is, what are they feeling? The way that a parent helps build a sense of self in a child and self-esteem is by constantly reflecting back the external experience of the child to their internal experience. By asking a child what they are feeling rather than why are you stuck, you are really asking a child not what's going on in their head, but what's going on in their body and their emotions. It is not a thinking question, it's a feeling question. And most of life's problems are related to feeling problems and not thinking problems. 
If you can sort out the feelings, the thinking often then clarifies and they can move forward. But if you don't have a vocabulary or awareness or understanding of one's own feelings, then it is impossible to sort out what you're thinking. So teaching problem solving is as much about understanding one's feelings as it is about figuring out the steps to solve a problem. Tip five, do not focus on their looks or tell them they're special. It's important to validate that a child is attractive, but do not tell them repeatedly how beautiful they are. Validate their self-worth. Validate their accomplishments and their efforts. When I'm around parents, their young children, and sometimes not so young children, I'm often struck by the number of times that I hear a parent tell a child how beautiful they are, or that they are lookers, or how people are going to adore them because they're pretty. This can be incredibly disabling to a child because they are being taught that their value is in their looks. While it might be true that a child is attractive, and most parents believe their child is attractive, it is not helpful for a person to value their worth based upon their looks, because looks change and fade with time, and what may be a very attractive child may turn into a very unattractive adult. If their self-esteem is based upon how other people respond to how they look, then they will be dependent upon others to make them feel better about themselves. This is a losing game. For a healthy sense of self and self-esteem, it is essential that people have a strong internal core as a foundation for being in the world. They will trust and value their skills. They have empathy and compassion for others and will be emotionally self-reliant. This is how you build a strong adult, an adult capable of succeeding in the world. Again, telling them they are special, better than everyone else, is equally damaging. To accomplish extraordinary things and be able to really own that accomplishment is it important that a person own their ordinariness first. Otherwise, it is a setup to fail. Life will tell them if they are special or not. What a child needs to be accomplished and succeed in the world is a belief that they are loved. That is the greatest gift that a parent can give. From there, they will find out if they are attractive or special in the world in some way. The world will let them know. So to recap, first, help a child make sense out of their experiences and help give them a larger context that they can't possibly have the life experience to know. It could save them years in therapy. Second, don't shame your kids on purpose. Too much shame can set up a child for a lifetime of self-hatred. Third, be honest about the facts of life. Give them age-appropriate information so they can protect themselves against people that would victimize them and take their innocence. Fourth, tell them how to problem solve, both how to understand and process their feelings as well as what steps are necessary to solve a problem. Problem solving is both clarifying feeling and thinking to get to the right answer. Fifth, do not overemphasize their looks or puff them up by telling them that they are special or better than everyone else. They are beautiful and special to you, and that is what's most important that they know and believe. I'd like to recommend three books. First for girls, Reviving Ophelia, really well-known book about adolescent girls and the problems. It's well worth reading. For boys, Raising Cain, superb book that really is about protecting the emotional life of little boys so that they can grow into men. And lastly, a really wonderful book on how we came to understand attachment theory. It's a great read and will give you some insight into psychology as well. It's called Becoming Attached. It's by Robert Karen. I recommend it highly.
Thanks for spending this time with me and have a great life. Thank you.